Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year again. Everybody happy? Yeah, anything less than happy is unacceptable today. Ray Ray is leaving. Ray, we need you to leave. Awesome. Yeah, um, you guys enjoy the interviews? See, here's what we want to do. We want to continually model that the kingdom of heaven is not a pastor. Okay, We want to continually model that the kingdom of heaven is not contained in a worship leader, that it's contained in all kinds of people, in artists and teachers and doctors, just every kind of person. And I just appreciate people like Owen who are, uh, who are Jesus' kind of people and who do life uh, from their heart and from their passions. You know. All right, I've uh, got a couple of things I want to share with the church before we get into my message this morning. One of the things I wanted to share with you... Um, was on the, the, the church newsletter this week. Most people in here getting the newsletter? All right, y'all enjoying that? Yeah, uh, I want to tell you something that's coming up uh, this March. Um, this March, on March 21st, we're going to have something called Big Give. The Big Give. And what we mean by the Big Give is we're going to take up a one-time offering. It's something that we want to kick off this year and make it an annual event. We're going to take up a one-time offering. And rather than taking up an offering like we normally do on, on that Sunday morning that goes for keeping the lights on, paying the staff, and allowing the church to do ministry, we're going to take up, we're going to take up an offering on March 21st. And that offering is going to go 100% to, just, uh, to go toward our debt as a church. As a church, we have about $230,000 worth of debt on the building. I can't believe that we're able to have a building this nice on Highway 55 for that little money. You know what I'm talking about? And um, as a church, we make 13, uh, 13 payments a year to the bank. So we, we try to think forward. But one of the things we want to do is we want to take one Sunday, and I want to just put it out there to the people. And I want you guys to begin to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to give in addition to my regular offering? God, what would you have me and my family give to just retire debt at the vineyard? Here's the deal. I feel like the Lord has some huge things for us in the future, but we can't, we can't move into some of the things I feel like the Lord wants to wants to open up for us so long as we're dragging a 230,000 pound weight behind us. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to put that out there. March 21st, put it on your calendar and let's just make it an issue of prayer right now. All right? Cool. All right. Actually, why don't we do this? Everybody just stand up. Let's do a calisthenic moment here. I just feel like we've gotten settled all of a sudden and we just need to, we need to break up. All right, everybody just, we're going to do this. We're going to stretch. I'm going to try not to be, I'm not going to try not to be real long this morning, but just in case I am, I, I want to break us out, you know? All right. Yeah, Ray and Alan are not doing very well for whatever reason. They're not doing well on this. Okay. You guys can be seated. All right. You know, one of the, one of the worst things about, you know, one of the worst things that can happen to you when you begin to, when you begin to preach one of the worst things that can happen to you right before you start a message is to realize that you have to pee. <laughs> just, just, it just occurred to me. Wow. So, yeah, huh? All right. Yeah, just turn the mic off. Yeah, you guys have all heard those stories about pastors who go to the bathroom and everyone catches Anna. Don't want to do that. Lord, deliver us. Mm. Yeah, what am I doing? See... It's just habit. It has nothing to do with even needing it. It's, it's like, you meet musicians, and, and if you meet a guy who's had a guitar and he's been in front of people for several years, he's only comfortable being in front of people if he's got the guitar in front of him. I've actually met guitarists 
who had to have their guitar with them to even speak in front of a crowd. Yeah, it's, it's the water. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I want to tell you guys, um, here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to lay out for you guys what I feel like uh, is coming up for us in some ways uh, for the year ahead, okay? I want, to, I want to talk to you this morning about looking ahead, looking ahead into 2010. Um, and, and for the most part this morning, I, I just want to give you guys a bunch of prophetic stuff. Is that okay? I, I've had all this prophetic stuff coming in. I, I've got a couple words. And then I've been getting a crazy amount of words this, uh, for the last two weeks from, from good friends, from people who are barely my friends. And uh, all of these words are going into some, you know, about three main categories that I want to share with you all this morning. But so most of them I'm just going to give you some prophetic stuff. I had another message and just didn't feel like I could get to it. I felt like we want to do this first. Um, before we get into that, I want to tell you guys, um, I, I just want to reiterate something that Ray started last week and that we keep hanging over on the banners. Uh, as a vineyard church, this is who we are. These six banners over here. If you ever wonder who we are, it, it's these things. More than anything else in the whole planet, we value the presence of the Lord. We sang about it this morning. Owen talked about it. The thing that we want to, uh, the thing that we want to encounter every time we get together is we want to encounter the, the presence of God. We don't want to have just a theology of the presence. We don't want to have just a, a theory about the presence of God. We want to have an encounter with the presence of God. And, and, and worship, I mean, worship is just our calling in life. Like, it, 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 it exceeds any other calling. We're called to be worshipers. Not just people who sing songs, but people who live surrendered lives to Jesus. That's what worship is. It's, people, it's a person who lives a surrendered life to Jesus. And one of the things we found is singing songs allows us to have a heart that's, that's open to the Lord so that we can submit. It's just one of the things I've found in my life. And we want to share life together. We want to do community. We want to be more than just community. We want to, the word the Lord gave me last year was that we, we, we need to be a family of families, if you can hear it that way. Not just people who, who, who are casually connected together on Sunday morning. Not just people who once a month have lunch or maybe you go over to somebody's house and watch Monday Night Football. More than that, I'm talking about sharing life and being a family of families. And and one of the other things that I feel like is going to continually um, outline who we are is radical generosity. One of the things the elders and I have talked about over the last three or four years is this. If, if this church has to choose between wisdom and generosity, we're going to choose generosity every time. Let me put it this way. A lot of times, wisdom masquerades as stinginess. All right? And so we're going to choose generosity every time because one of the things we found is that God is an incredibly generous person. He's the most generous person you're ever going to meet. And so we want to be radically generous. The other thing that defines us as a, as a, as a community of believers is, is that, that we want to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, not simply the gospel of salvation. You see, the gospel of salvation, that's, that's a door. We want to open that door up. We want to walk right through, and we want to walk into the broad vistas of the kingdom of God. Salvation, great. I'm betting my life on it. But it's simply a door into a much larger experience with Jesus. In addition to all that, we want to be a church that equips the saints. We want, we want, to, we want to turn the microphone loose. We want to, we want to invest and, and, and bet on people that, other, that, that the world would pass up, if I can put it that way. We want to invest in people. We want to, we want to give the vote of confidence. We want to, we want to give the, the vote of finance to people that the world would pass up and, 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 and discount. That's who we are. And if you give any serious thought to any of these at all, one of the things you'll find out real quick is that 
all of these six things, they're, they're actually really interconnected. It's like, how can you value the presence of God without being a worshiper, you know? How, how, can, you, how can you value being radically generous without sharing life with other people? Who are you going to be generous to? See what I'm saying? And so they're radically interconnected, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like a spider web. And one of the things I want to tell you is, you can't get tangled up in one of them without getting captured in all the others, you know? And so if you want to know how, to get, how, do you, how, do you, how do you come into the community, just try to get yourself tangled up in one of those six things over there, and you will find yourself fully immersed into the community that's here at the Vineyard. These things, these are who we are, and these are non-negotiable. But I want to talk about looking ahead a little bit to 2010 here. been getting several words um, from a lot of my friends and uh, the words that I've been getting uh, for us about the church fit uh, primarily into three basic categories and I want to I talk to you about those three categories this morning and then I want to give you just a little addendum that I feel like the Lord has shared with me for us this year. And the first, uh, the first category that the Lord's been speaking uh, to me through several people for the church is, uh, is that this is a year of demonstration. Uh, one of the things that's been shared with me at least on three different occasions by three different people was this specific word. And the word was 2009 was a year of teaching, 2010 is a year of demonstration. And, um, and I think if you look back and, and consider our experience here as a, as a church, uh, you'd find that to be true, that 2009 was certainly a year of teaching. I think it was, I think it was a year of instruction from the Lord. Uh, we, we had encounters, you know, you know, all that sort of thing. But this year is to be a year of demonstration. And I want to I read a scripture to you. It's out of Matthew chapter 4. It's, um, it's verses 23 through 25. This is right before Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So right before Jesus' most, most perfect sermon, right before Jesus' most famous instruction are these words. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Did you notice that? See, teaching goes with demonstration. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those who were suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. What's the point? The point is this. The context for hearing Jesus' words, the context for being a student of Jesus is having an experience with Jesus. And Jesus never, Jesus never divorced teaching or instruction from demonstration. And so what is this year going to be about? This year is going to be about demonstrating the kingdom of God. Last year was a year of teaching, and this year is going to be a year of application and demonstration. And um, let, me just, let me just translate that for you. Do you know what it means when I tell you that this year is going to be a year of demonstration? Let me put it in really practical terms. This year is going to be a year of risking. See, nobody, nobody can demonstrate anything in the kingdom without, without some level of risk. And, and, and risk, is, risk is associated with everything in the kingdom, not just those things that we would typically quantify as supernatural, okay? There's, there's a certain amount of risk that's involved in every, every aspect of submitting to Jesus and following in the kingdom. I'll tell you this, how about this? How about you try giving up anger and becoming a person who forgives? I'll tell you right now, you, you will, risk will hit you like never before. You mean I have to care about that person? 
but what about these other friends? And you will, here's the deal. When you begin to live in the kingdom, you realize that your heart, your heart is held in risk. And so, and so to, to show the, even, even to show the kingdom heart and forgive, even show the kingdom heart and let go of anger, which is typically considered non-risky, it will sometimes put us at odds with other people. What happens? Risk. There, there's, there's a tremendous amount of risk that's involved in every single thing that goes with the kingdom. And the other thing is this. God is going to call us out from being people who just talk about the supernatural into a greater measure of being people who do the supernatural. And I'm telling you when, you, when you become convinced of that necessity and you begin to take that step and you open that door, you're actually opening up the door to risk. Everybody okay with risk? At least in theory, right? At, at least right now I'm okay with risk. See, here's the deal. What the world needs desperately is a church that displays both the power and the character of Jesus. Uh, I was reading an article not long ago. It's in a Vineyard publication, and there was an article written by a Vineyard pastor. His name is Charles Park. And Charles Park pastors a Vineyard church in Manhattan. And um, one of the things that Charles Park talked about in in his article was this. this. Um, He was talking about this pretty simple fact. Most of us have probably read similar things. Cities like... New York City, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Los Angeles. Those are, those are kind of like, in many ways, you could look at it this way. They're prophetic, they're prophetic cities. And what I mean by prophetic cities is, that, is they, they, they communicate to the rest of America what's going to happen in your town. You know, what's going on in New York City, in Manhattan right now, is what will be happening in our neighborhood in 15 and 20 years. Everybody, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so here's the deal. Charles Park, is, he's basically outlining that. And then he goes on to say, well, in New York City, and specifically in the borough of Manhattan, only 3% are committed Christians who attend church. And that includes Catholic Mass. So 3% of just a sea of people in Manhattan are committed Christians who attend church and who are part of a body. What does that mean? The prophetic word coming out of New York City is this. Church is over. See, here's the deal. You can't turn on NPR. You can't, watch, you, can't watch, you can't watch any news magazine without one basic message coming through. And I've noticed that in the last six months, the volume on this message has been amplified significantly. And the message is this, that America is quickly becoming a post-Christian, post-religious society. What do I mean by post-Christian and post-religious? Uh, here's what I mean by that. There, there is a mindset that is, being, that is being sown and accepted into people's minds and hearts that says this, that, that religion is passe. What does passe mean? It, it means that it's something we used to do. Oh, we got over that. Heather and I have friends who are, um, who are from Belgium, and they talk to us, and, and they're not even particularly religious people, but they talk to us about how, you know, they live here in America now, and they talk to us about how they go home to Belgium twice a year, and the first thing that they encounter that they visibly just are affected by is how, how the culture there in, in Belgium and in that section of Europe is, has become completely passe. You begin to talk to somebody about God, you begin to talk to somebody about Jesus, and the immediate attitude that comes from that person is, what are we, man, we got, over that, we got over that 100 years ago. Let's move on. And so one of the things that Charles Park was writing about is that in our, in our city centers, that there, that there is a dwindling, there's a dwindling commitment to Jesus, there's a dwindling commitment to one another, uh, in, a, in a religious sort of sense. And so it, the, the word is out. America is quickly becoming post-religious, post-Christian. That was something we used to do. 
You guys encountering these mindsets? Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're everywhere. And so, and so the post-religious mindset begins, not only, not only does, it, does it say, well, that was something we used to do, but it's, it's actually morphing now. And, and even through channels of media that I occasionally take in, one of the things I've noticed is there's a certain amount of militancy that's coming out against religion. You know, it's not just, oh, that's okay for you. It's not even, it's not even just postmodern, do your thing, I'll do my thing, whatever works for you. It's now there's, there's, a, there's a little thread of, there's a radical agenda that's even begun to, to form. And you hear it in guys like Richard Dawkins who are just so full of anger. But then you also hear it in all of, a lot of guys who are nowhere near as radical as Richard Dawkins. And so the, the post-religious mindset says, man, not only am I over religion, but religion is a bad thing. And so they point, to, they point to Christians and they go, well, you Christians, you guys are just a bunch of right-wing conservative homophobes. And, and then they go on to say, well, you know, religion is the problem. You know, people, people strap bombs onto themselves and blow other people up because of religion. And not only that, but there are third world developing nations where millions of people starve while there's millions of cows running around in the streets. And why does that go on? It goes on in the name of religion. And so now not only is... Not only is it that we're just over religion, but religion is a bad thing and we're against it. Okay? What is the solution for a world that's radically absorbing that kind of mindset? The only solution for a worldview that has radically absorbed that mindset is a demonstration that Jesus is actually better. And I'm talking about a demonstration of power and a demonstration of character. What is this year about for the vineyard? We're called to be the solution. I, tell, I say this all the time. We're called to be the solution and not simply more of the problem. We are called to be people who carry Jesus' power and Jesus' character into the spheres we've been given influence. So here's the deal. I actually, I actually agree with their assessment in some ways. Religion is the problem. Religion's a killer. Following Jesus is a totally different thing. See, we have to give up dead mindsets about what it means to follow Jesus. See, the world is in desperate need of true disciples whose life goal is to follow Christ and and whose life goal is to embody love. See, here's the deal. The only thing the world is going to listen to is love that manifests itself in power. Can I say that again? The only thing that the world is going to listen to is love that manifests itself in power. I'm talking about power over disease, and I'm talking about power over anger. Here's the deal. The church, and this is, this is my goal, one of my goals for this vineyard. The church should be the kind of place where everybody in town knows, oh, you can go there and get healed, and if you don't get healed, they'll take care of you. So we should have, we should have Jesus' heart and Jesus' power to that extent, that we actually have a reputation for healing the sick, and when we pray for them and they don't get healed, we just take care of them anyway. See, it's Jesus' power and Jesus' character. What is 2010 about? One of the things I know the Lord wants to radically shape in this church is that this is going to be a place of demonstration, which means it's going to be a place of risk. If you're uncomfortable with risk, you're going to be very uncomfortable this year. If you're a risk-averse personality, you're going to be very uncomfortable. I'm going to annoy you. You're going, to, you're going to not like your pastor. You'll probably talk about me behind my back. You might even want to start a coalition against me. 
See if you can get the votes. I want to talk to you just for a second also about what it means to live in a community that embraces risk. See, if, you're, if, if, you, if you become a person who embraces risk, if you become a person who wants to embrace demonstration, it increases the need to share life together and live in community. Okay? You can't do it on... You, here's the deal. You can't do anything on your own worthwhile, and especially if you... If you begin to bend your heart toward the kingdom kind of life and you begin to shape yourself and say, God, I want to be a demonstrator. When you make that choice, the thing you've done is you've just stepped into a whole big ball of risk. And when you step into that kind of risk, you have to be sharing life with people. It it, it amplifies our need for one another. Can you all hear that? And so this is a year for community and for supporting one, one another. And this is the other thing too. This is a year for us to speak encouraging words over one another. Like we always try to do that here at the Vineyard, but we need to be intentional about watching over our tongues and making sure that what comes out is blessing. Okay? Because when a person is trying to live a radically, a radically risky lifestyle, when a person is, is, is giving themselves to rolling the dice and saying, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to partner with Jesus for power and character, when a person begins to step into that kind of lifestyle, it's essential that they have a community that speaks good words over them. It amplifies our need for, rip, for, for community. And right along with that, I want to tell you guys this. This is a year to bury disappointment. It's going to be a year where we bury disappointment. Anybody in the room been significantly disappointed? Like recently even. Anybody been significantly disappointed like 20 years ago, but you, 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 carry, you carry like the, the sting of that disappointment? Anybody? Yeah, I, you know, man. We're going we're gonna to see the Lord touch people, and we're going to be able to bury disappointments. That'd be all right? How about this? How about we just pray for that right now? That'd be all right? Yeah, Lord, just do this. If, if, if that's you, if you need some disappointment buried, just put your hand up just for a second, all right? All right, put your hands on the people with their hands up. We're going we're gonna, to, yeah, just right now, we're going to just break disappointment off of people. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that this year that you would break off disappointment. God, I ask that this year you would, you would bury disappointment with hope. God, I ask that this year you would, that you would bury all of, our, all of our disappointments, all the places where we've been wounded, God, and I ask that this year that you would surprise us with the hope of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask for resurrection power to fall on us. Amen. 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 That's category one, risk and demonstration. Category two, can't tell you how many words I've gotten about this. This is a year of joy. Um, I want to talk to you just for a second about last year. Um, Three specific things I felt like last year at this time. Um, Heather and I, as we were praying uh, in 2008 for 2009, we felt like the Lord shared with us that, that he was going to turn the light on and things that were hidden were going to get unhidden. Yeah. That happened. Okay. Anybody got anybody, witnesses on that one? The light came on and we found out what was what. All right. One of the other things I felt like the Lord told me in 2009 was that, that we were going to have to choose joy in 2009. I just got this word, choose joy. We're going to choose joy. 
I, I, I shared that with the church quite a bit. Um, I don't know that I did real well on that. Uh, one of the other things that, um, that Dick, um, one, of our, one of our big dogs around here, brought to us was that 2009 was going to be the, the best of times and the worst of times. And how many of you can identify with that? Like, last year was, like, one of the best years of my life, and at the same time, one of the most difficult years of my life. Like, most days, especially, oh gosh, the last six and a half months of the year, I was simultaneously excited and frustrated. Like, my wife could barely live with me. I was, I was a complete bear. I was, like, so excited about, like, avenues and doors that the Lord was opening up, and at the same time, there were incredible amounts of, ah, difficulty. So, that was last year. But I say all that to, to say this, that last year, let me phrase it like this. Last year we chose joy, but this year we're going to reap joy. Okay? I want to read to you guys some scripture, and it comes out of Psalm 126. If we can put that up. This is Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. This is, Psalm 126 is a scripture for us this year. How many of you guys have, have sown in tears this year? Awesome. Awesome. Well, you did. Well, that's so good. Awesome. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, how many of you guys have sown in tears last year? How many of you guys stayed up late at night, wept on your beds last year? How many of you guys, how many of you guys felt like that you, that you, that more came out of your eyes than, than out, of your, out of your belly and out of your mouth and laughter last year, huh? Yeah, I, I just feel like this is going to be a year of turnaround, and everything that was sown in, in tears, we're going we're gonna to get to reap back in joy. So last year, we were going to choose joy. I feel like this year, we're just going to reap joy, and it's going to be abundant joy. And um, I feel like just right out of verse 10, right out of verse 2, that this is going to be a year of singing, okay? So what verse 2 says, Out of our mouths we're filled with laughter on our, and our tongues with songs of joy. This is going to be a year of singing, and this is going to be a year of worship. One of the things about this psalm is that there's actually a key in this psalm for how to experience greater realms of joy. There's a key in this psalm for how to experience greater realms of joy. Look at verse 3. Let's read it. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Can I tell you one of the ways that we encounter greater realms of joy? Remembering the good things that God has done for us. How many of you want to encounter greater realms of joy this year? Greater realms of joy, are, it's going to start by remembering the good things that God has done for you. <clears throat> I'll tell you how this works practically. Or I'll just give you an example. About two and a half weeks ago, right after Christmas, my very best friends were in my house. So my, ha- my house is filled with not just my good friends, but the best friends I have in my entire life. It's me, it's my sister, 
It's my wife. It's my sister's husband, Eric. It's, uh, it's Bubba, Sammy and Tiffany, and Lucy. These are, I mean, these are just, you know, these are golden. I mean, I, I'd shoot the rest of them, but these ones, you know. But, so we're sitting around my couch, and we're not being particularly spiritual. If I can be the bad pastor for a second. For a while, we were even just being stupid. We were just being stupid and maybe just a little bit coarse and having a good time, okay? Moments of confession. But sometime around midnight, we began to just turn our hearts to the Lord. And this is how we turned our hearts to the Lord. It wasn't even a conscious decision necessarily. It was just, we started talking about the Lord and then the conversation morphed again and we began to talk about how good the Lord was. And when we began to talk about how good the Lord was, we began to pray. And when we began to pray, we began to go back to how good the Lord was. And the next thing you know, and I know some of you guys are going to think I'm lying to you, but I'm not. Justin can tell you. A wind came into my room on the couch where we were. There was, there was physical wind blowing on us. The, the air was not on. The heat was not on. The windows were not cracked. The doors were not open. But wind began to blow on us. This cool breeze came all over us. Immediately, everyone in the room is aware of the presence of God is with us. And joy came in the room that was ridiculous. By the time we were done, we looked like idiots. What's the point? There's something about remembering how good the Lord has been, for, been to you. Here's the deal. You, you, could have had a, you could have had a mom and a dad who beat you every single day. And you could, you could have utterly a, a treacherous and awful life. And if you, if, you pause your, if you pause your mind even for a second... Right on the surface, right beneath that, is the goodness of God. He has shown goodness and favor to every single person, even the most abused among us in the room right now. And the goodness of God is a doorway into joy. So last year we chose joy, but this year we're going to reap joy. That was category two. Category three. Category three is presence. I keep getting words about the presence of the Lord, okay? I want to read you one in particular. Everybody here remember Garrett Gilkey? Anybody here remember Gare Bear? Garrett Gilkey is just one of my favorite people in the world. And Garrett, if you're listening to this message sometime next week, we just really love you. Everybody, we love you, Garrett. Come on. Go, Garrett. That's right. See, that'll end up on the microphone. Garrett sent me a word last week, and um, he got this word for us while he was praying. So I want to read it to you. It says, Adam, while I was praying, I saw an aerial map of Kentucky, and out of the center of the map, something was coming up out of the state, and it looked like a tent. I knew it was a tent coming out of Campbellsville, and as it continued to grow, it eventually covered the entire state. And I asked the Lord what it meant, and I think this is basically it. The tent represents the Old Testament tabernacle of God, and basically that represents God's presence. God dwells where he is enjoyed and asked to come. I feel that he is expanding expanding that tent because God's presence is valued and loved at the vineyard. His tabernacle presence is going to spread out from there and engulf the entire state. His presence will be felt and experienced all over the state. This is the part I really like. Even by people who aren't asking for it or expecting it. And I feel like this is a word that the Lord wanted me to share with you guys and encourage you. Isn't that a good word? Yeah. 
this is just one of many words that have fallen into this category. 2010 is going to be a year for us to encounter greater realms of God's presence. Because we love his presence and we value his presence and we make a place for his presence. I know I've shared this with you guys before, but Jesus likes to go where he's invited. You know, Jesus is no different than you. How many of you like to just show up at somebody's house and just walk right in and go, well, what you got for me? What you cooking, mama? You know, we don't do that. There's, there's, we feel weird about that, you know? And um, so Jesus, he's a lot like you and I. He just really likes to go where he's welcomed and invited. And, and one of the things I think we've done consistently over the 13-year history of this church is we've tried to welcome the Lord and invite him. Like, here's the deal. It's a strange thing. The Lord is everywhere all the time, you know? He, he, he's here right now. But there's, and so, you know, sometimes, uh, especially over the 13-year history of this church, I'm, I'm the big-time culprit of this. I've always just invited the Lord. And then people come up to me afterwards and go, you don't have to invite the Lord. He's already here. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I just want to invite him. Get off my back, you know? There's something, there's something about, there's something about inviting the Lord. It, it just, it, it, it extends to Him that you really invite, you value Him, and that you, and that you enjoy Him, and that, yeah, He's already here. Yeah, Jesus, I, I can get down with that theological understanding in my brain, but I'm not really interested in that. I'm interested in is my heart and my mind going to be changed by being with you? And so, one of the ways I can change my heart and mind is just to engage my heart and mind by inviting you. And one of the things we've done is we've invited Him, and so He wants to come. I want to read you a scripture out of Exodus. It's one of my most favorite pieces of scripture. This is like a, one of those life passages. This is out of chapter 33. I want to set this up before we look at this. This is right before this, God has said, well, right before this, what's happened is Moses went up to the mountain. He hung out with God, got in the presence. He came back down and, and Aaron had collected all the gold from the people and they formed the calf. God was not pleased with this, Okay. And so God tells him, he says, you know, look, I made a promise to you guys. I'm going to deliver you guys into the, into the promised land. I'm going to drive out the Jebusites and all, the, all those guys. And, um, um, but I'm not going with you. Because if I go with you, I'll probably kill you. You guys are stiff-necked, stubborn people. And, and Moses says, well, man, we, just, we can't do that. And the people begin to mourn. So that's where we get. So verse 7, now Moses used to take a tent and he pitched it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went to that, out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrance to his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. A couple things I want to I bring out here. This is a year of presence. A couple of things. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp. Look there at the second line. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. 
If you've got your Bible open to that, you want to underline that word, anyone. You see, here's the deal. The presence of God, it's not for the, it's not for the super spiritual types. It's for the anyone. Like, even way back in the Old Testament, way before Jesus showed up on the planet, the presence of God was for everyone. The scripture is encouraging and disheartening all at the same time. So look at verse 7. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Now, we've just read that passage. Who actually went to the tent of meeting? Moses and Joshua. Okay, here's the deal. Anyone could go, but who actually went? Moses and Joshua. I want to read you guys a quote from our good friend Andrea Michael. She had some good some good insight into this last year. This is what Andrea said. She said, sometimes others are content to watch someone else encounter God. Ooh. Holy smokes. Sometimes others. Look at what they did. Moses and Joshua would go into the tent. Cloud of presence comes down. Everyone else just goes out and watches, right? See, there's, there's, there's a temptation that, that will arise on any, any culture and any community of believers where the presence of God is active and present. And, and the temptation is to end up being the person who watches other people encounter God. Can I tell you something? There, there's something about encountering the presence of God that is mildly inconvenient. Sometimes you have to go out and meet it. It's, it's the strangest thing. Here's the other thing I want to tell you. That, that presence is, is a key to being, to being a leader. And not only that, but presence is a key to being the solution and not more of the problem. Who went in, who went in and encountered the presence? Moses and Joshua. Who, who, were, who were the problem-solving leaders of that generation? Moses and Joshua. See, it, it's, it's, not because, it's not because they were better than everyone else. It's because they hung out with someone better than everyone else. So what's 2010 about? It's about encountering the presence of God. Here's the deal. In this scripture, in Exodus chapter 33, um, the presence of God, it rested in a tent, okay? Here's some really good news for everybody in the room. If you've met the Lord, if you've submitted your life to Jesus, you are the tent, okay? Yeah. And so meeting the Lord isn't, meeting the Lord isn't, isn't as big a job as it used to be. It just requires tuning our hearts to giving them space and saying, God, I want you. I want to say one other thing about presence. I need to open up my own Bible because I don't think I, I don't think I have an overhead for this. Yeah, in Exodus chapter 33 in verse... Um, I'll just read you from verse 15 to like 17. God says, you know, I don't want to go with you. Moses says, well, if your presence does not go with us, well, then don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? After that, the Lord says, well, I'll I'll go with you. I'll do the very thing that you've asked. What's the point? The point is this, that the presence of God, it defines and shapes people, individuals, and communities, okay? 
Moses, God says, I'm not going to go with you. Moses says, well, if you don't go with us, how are people going to know that you're, that you're, that you're like us? How, what will make us any different than any, any other people group that are on the face of the earth? There's something about the presence of God that defines and it shapes people. And, and here's the deal. I believe that this year is a year for us to be further defined and shaped by our encounters with God. Amen? Those are the three main categories of things I've been getting. And I've gotten one other thing I want to share with you. As I've been, as I've been praying and just in seeking the Lord for us, I felt like the Lord has spoken to me just one little thing, and it's this, that he, he wants to make this little vineyard a prophetic and artistic community. He wants to make this little vineyard a prophetic and artistic community. And I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to stop you right there because most of us hear those words prophetic and artistic and even maybe putting them together and we, and we automatically have certain assumptions about what being a prophetic or artistic community means. And I feel like the Lord wants to me to redefine that for you just a little bit. Um, we've endeavored to be a prophetic community since we started. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 3, that's like, that's like the carpet in this room right now, you know? The one who prophesies, he does for edification, exhortation, and comfort. You know, you know that's always going to be who we are at a certain level, but I feel like the Lord wants to define what it means to be a prophetic person and what it means to be a prophetic community a little bit different, at least this year. And here's what I feel, here's what I feel like. A lot of times we, we associate, we associate with, uh, being a prophetic person or, or being a prophetic community with, with being weird. You know, We're going to be the weirdest dudes. That's not what I'm talking about. And a lot of times, um, we um, we may we may associate being a prophetic community with like with like being the weird dudes who tell the future or something. That's not really what I'm talking about. I want to redefine that term just a little bit for us this year. See, being a prophetic community isn't just a function, okay? Being a prophetic community isn't just a function. It isn't just a few people standing up on Sunday morning and giving a few other people in the room prophetic words. Bring a, being a prophetic community, or at least the way I feel like the Lord wants us to be a prophetic community this year, means that we see everything. We see all of life. We see the good and the bad. We see every situation and we see every person through kingdom eyes. Okay? This is what the Lord wants to do this year. He wants, he wants to establish a people and a community together who are prophetic because they see every person, they, every, they see every situation, good and bad, through kingdom eyes. That's, that's, what real, that's what it really means to be prophetic, okay? At the end of the day, that, that's, that's even what Paul's trying to get at in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 3. Why is he, why is he talking about the prophet, that prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort? It's because that's how God really feels about people. And so what it means to be prophetic needs to be redefined, I feel like, for us so that we're the kind of people who encounter every, every situation, every person, and we, and we view them with kingdom-wise. We, we're, able, we're able to see from heaven's perspective into situations and into people, and we're able to act or speak with heaven's, with heaven's sight and with heaven's authority. And so everyone else, everyone else looks, like, looks at a situation and goes, man, that thing's going to hell in a handbasket. And we look, no way. There's something awesome in there. I can see it. Have you ever wondered why 
Well, I want, let me put it this way. See, here's the deal. We're called to see the solution. That doesn't mean we're delusional. We're just called to see the solution. And if, and if we become a prophetic community in the way the Lord wants to form us, we'll, we'll be the kind of people who see the solution and who are the solution to every kind of situation. There's a, there's a nationally known prophetic voice that I really, I really love and admire. Anybody in here know who Paul Hewson is? Yeah. Anybody in here know who Bono is? See, here's the deal. Bono is a prophetic voice, not just to people in music, but to the entire world. Why is Bono a prophetic voice to the globe? The reason Bono is a prophetic voice to the globe is because Bono is a person who has, who has somehow, in his own way, devoted his life to Jesus, and devotion to Jesus has caused him be, to be the kind of person who sees solution. It's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, Bono, he, he gets to write op-ed articles for the New York Times all the time. And, and he wrote one not, not too many days ago. He, he wrote one, um, he wrote, uh, one, it was titled something like uh, 10 Things in 2010. And, um, and it's so funny. As I'm reading them, some of them are on the surface very silly. Some of them are uh, very serious. But as I'm reading them, I'm realizing that this is a guy who has a prophetic voice to the generation and to the globe and nearly every single one is calling out the possibility that I think that heaven has for the planet. It, it's, it's bizarre. Um, I'll give you just one example. Well, one of the last ones is uh, Bono, uh, one of the last little paragraphs that he writes about, he's writing about Africa, and he, and he says that this is going to be uh, the, de- the decade that Africa gets off of her feet. And one of the reasons that she's going to get off of her feet is because, uh, is because of... Uh, just, there's, there's just a lot of synergy that's happening in Africa right now. And he says, he's basically in this little paragraph saying, you need to watch the World Cup because it's going to be, it's going to begin, it's going to be basically the initial, the initial bars to the song of Africa getting off of her feet. He says, you know, uh, South Africa said that they wanted to host the World Cup. Everyone else in the globe laughed at them and says, you guys can't get the infrastructure ready. South Africa got the infrastructure ready. Things are changing. And so Bono's beginning to prophesy that Africa's coming out, and he's doing it in this really non-weird, non-crazy, new-age sort of way, you know? What does it mean to be a prophetic person? It means to be a person who sees with kingdom perspective on every... Everybody else in the world goes, man, Africa, that's a waste of time, you know? But Bono, he looks at it and goes, no, God's heart, God's purpose, God's calling about to come together down there. You watch. If you go on newyorktimes.com, you can read the article. I think it's 10 things in 2010, something like that. Or just run a search for Bono. One thing, one last thing about being a prophetic person in this way. Um, So here's the deal. Truly prophetic people they're people, they're people who are a message. They're, they're not people who just simply have a message. I think it's one of the powerful things about Bono. He doesn't just simply have a message. He is a message everywhere he goes. Last thing, and then we'll be done. We're called to be a prophetic and an artistic community. 
And at this point, we really, we really need to free ourselves from, from the, the previously held definitions of what it means to be artistic. I'm not talking about every single person in the room becoming photographers and painters. Even though I would be for that, and even though I feel like this church is always going to have an artistic edge to it. We're always going to be a church of, of musicians, writers, filmmakers, and photographers. That's, we're, we're always just going to be that. And, but here's the deal. You don't have to be a filmmaker, writer, musician, painter to be an artistic person in the way the Lord wants to release it this year. Here's what I feel like the Lord means by being an artistic person. I think he means three essential things. And the first, the first thing that I feel like he means is, is art, the art, that artistic spark, it comes, from, it, comes from, it comes from curiosity and it comes from creativity, okay? And, and it's one of the ways that, it's one of the principal ways that we are actually truly human. See, here's the deal. Um, our father is a creator. He created everything that any of us experience or know. And, and, he, and then he set, us, he set us in the garden and he released humanity. And, and one of the first things that, uh, that, that people do after they're set in, in the garden is they begin to, they begin to take on creative endeavors. Here's, here's what happened. Y'all remember the story. God sets Adam in the garden, and then he brings all the animals to Adam, and then what does Adam do? He creates a name for them. He, and, and, and God didn't say, hey, Adam, you should call that one the rhinoceros. He brought them over, and Adam got to choose. Okay, And, it, and, it, and it, was a, it was a place where Adam got to be creative. And so what does it mean to be an artistic community? It, it means that we're, we're a community that, that embraces creative Solutions. We, we, we embrace creativity. We, we embrace creativity for problems. We, we embrace creativity just for creativity's sake. Because being creative reflects our Father. Like, you can't even be a person unless you're creative. Some people, some people are living with the lie over them that says, I'm not creative. You know, I'm an accountant. I'm not creative. It's a lie. You, you're not even breathing unless you're creative. And, 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 and I will tell you something. To the extent that you give yourself to the lie, I'm not creative, I'm just an accountant. To the extent that you give yourself to that lie is the extent to which you begin to lose your humanity. There's something that the Lord wants to release. I don't even understand necessarily everything I'm telling you guys. I just know that, that this is some stuff that the Lord's been giving me. To the extent that we lose the creative spark, to the, to the extent that we lose curiosity and, and the desire to, to express that to other people, we begin to lose what it means to be human. Not only that, but the arts, all of them, all of the arts are designed to communicate. Music, painting, dancing, filmmaking, they're all designed to communicate, and, and, and they exist to communicate. And, um, and, and one of the things that the Lord is calling us to be is, is, a, is a creative, curious community that communicates the, 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 the realities of the goodness of God. And that, that gets communicated in a hundred ways. That's not just people who preach. It's not just sharing the gospel at work. But, but, it's, but the goodness of God and the reality of the kingdom is shared in a, in, a, in a million ways. And the Lord wants to release every single person in this room uh, from the accountants to the managers to the business people to the photographers. He wants to release everybody in, in, in kingdom communication. And he wants to do it in a creative way. So here's one of the things. The Lord wants to give everybody in here a voice. Here's the third thing. And you're really going to have to hang with me on this one, okay? About what it means to be artistic. The arts 
all the art, everything that it means to be creative and artistic, uh, they exist to inspire and to release beauty. Okay? It's the strangest thing. I want to read you something. It's been rocking my world this week. And it's out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Did y'all catch that? This, this verse has been rocking my world. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Can I tell you something? The Lord is interested in more than utility. There's something about there's something about the creative genius that is our Father. He's interested in more than, than utility. He, he, could have, he could have made fruit, and it could have been ugly and been just as good for us, but he didn't do it. He, he made the trees, and the trees were pleasing to the eye. What, is that, what does that say about who God is? See, here's the deal. We should be beautiful, inspiring people who do beautiful, inspiring things. And we can't, we can't contain... and. and, and there's a lot there, but and I, I'll stop at that. But, but there, there, there is something about beauty that, in, that is an inspiration, and, and, it, and it, releases, it releases even more creativity into people. One last thought about that. What does it mean that God would make trees not just that were good for food, but that were pleasing to the eye? What does it mean that from the very from the very soil of creation, God has constructed it in such a way that it was beautiful. What does that mean? What is it? Let's just let's break it down to food. What does it mean that when God was making good food that's good for you, what does it mean that he made it beautiful? What does beauty communicate in food? That it's good. Here's the deal. There's something about beauty that instructs us about what is good. If you go to the supermarket and, you're, and you've got a case of apples in front of you and there's 900 of them in there, which one do you pick up first? The one you're attracted to visually. Why? Because the one you're attracted to visually it's, it's the first indicator that that apple is actually good. See, beauty inspires us, but beauty doesn't just inspire us. It communicates to us, and it communicates to us about what is good. What is 2010 about? It's about us being a prophetic and artistic community. It's about us being a people who see everything, all of life, through kingdom eyes. We see everything, all of life, through kingdom solution, and it's about us being creative, communicating people who release beauty into the earth because beauty will tell everyone else about what is good. Here's the deal. Let me just, let me paint it for you this way. If you run, if you run your business in a creative fashion that truly blesses your employees and blesses the people who do, do business with them, you can never mention Jesus and everyone in town will eventually get the message. Because there's something about beauty and there's something, about, there's something about, about that kind of a system that communicates goodness. And goodness only comes from one place. James says, every good and perfect gift comes from where? Father of lights. 
See, the Lord, he's, wanting to, he's just wanting to touch everybody in here with like, I just, here's what, you know, I, I had a vision last night that everyone in here, that their minds got freed, and basically the minds of everyone in here got freed of one basic lie, that, that, I'm, that I'm not prophetic and that I'm not, that I'm not an artist. I'm not a creative person. I feel like that's one of the things that the Lord wants to do this morning. He wants to free everyone in here. Some of you dudes are just like the most linear guys ever. And I want to tell you, you're still a prophetic, artistic, creative, important person in the kingdom. Has anybody in here ever, anybody in here ever seen some paintings by a guy named Chuck Close? I feel terrible that I didn't one person dang it do you have a anyone who has a pen and pencil in here write his name down and google this guy okay chuck close all right he's probably probably my favorite artist chuck i i I should have had a picture of this i don't i'll just tell you a little bit about him chuck close is a paraplegic he is in a wheelchair and he's it has even begun to to lose a lot of connection with his hands and he paints massive paintings we're talking like like a little one for chuck close is like six by eight feet okay and he he rolls his wheelchair up and he has a special device at his studio and the paintings actually go through the floor okay so the first thing he does and he he likes to do portraits but he does all kinds of things but he's known for his portraits that's what he's famous for so he will take a photograph of someone and he will take a photograph of someone and it will be in some ways um their most candid and real moment like he will find the person whose whose body is just as is weathered with life you, you know what i'm talking about he will take this very candid photograph of them usually like a headshot and then he makes a grid on that photograph he blows it up to like this he puts it on an easel beside him and then he has this massive canvas he, he grids out the canvas to correspond to the picture that he just took and then he will at times paint with a paintbrush in his mouth like this or or kind of like this i mean he's really kind of limited in his in his body's ability to get oil and to get paint on the canvas and his paintings are astonishing and he has and i want to this is the reason i want to talk about chuck close he has the most linear brain you will ever meet in your life um heather and i've watched a couple shows about him the guy's brain works like like a like an engineer or a computer it, it he's very he has a very unartistic brain in some ways but it's so art, unartistic that he's that that it's somehow brilliantly artistic again you know you can be the most linear guy in the room and you may not be a painter but you may be, you may be the most unbelievable assembler and 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 and, and manager and, and leader and and visionary and it's in it and it still requires that creative prophetic spark that came from your father and it's meant to communicate beauty and goodness to everyone around you amen amen all right, I think I said what I wanted to say. Cool. Uh, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? Because we need to demonstrate that God is better. No pressure.